brunch with me, Anya Adams. And me, Fanshin Cox. We're back and talking to you about Black Women Plus working in media, entertainment, and the arts. On today's show, we're taking a look back at some of Sister Brunch's most memorable interviews from 2021. So we're going to start off this show with our conversation with Tatiana Lee. Tatiana, let's just say very clearly, first and foremost, most importantly, she's a freaking badass. Uh, she's an actress. She's a model. She's a disability rights advocate. She was born with spina bifida, and she uses those experiences breaking into the entertainment industry to further disability inclusion in film and media. She serves as a Hollywood inclusion associate for respectability. If y'all don't know about respectability, it's an incredible organization. Check it out at respectability.org. It's a nonprofit and their mission is to fight stigmas and advance opportunities so people with disabilities can fully participate in all aspects of the community. Tatiana also consults on TV and film projects. You've seen shows that she has consulted on without question. She also conducts trainings for studios and production companies. She spoke to us at Sister Brunch about the figurative and literal barriers she has had to overcome to break into the entertainment industry. Uh, so I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, um, in, in the country suburban area, like literally Amish town. And I wanted to act and model and I would try to like work with photographers in the city. I wasn't that far from Philadelphia and I would try to hide my disability so they would want to work with me. Yeah. Um, And I would take photos of just my face Mm -hmm. and they would say to me, oh my gosh, you're gorgeous. And um, we, you know, I want to shoot with you. But then before I would try to have to have this conversation of, oh yes, I have a disability. I walk on crutches or, you know, I'm paralyzed. And then soon as I would mention that, because once I got there, they would know either way, I couldn't hide it. Uh, they would not want to work with me. And I would literally have people laugh at me and tell me that that was something I couldn't accomplish. No one was ever going to want to see a black girl with a disability model for them. Mm-hmm. That, you know, people would encourage me to work in PR or be a manager or something like that. Cause I was really good at marketing and branding. I actually went to college and majored in business marketing because at the time I wanted to learn how to interject disability into pop culture norms. Oh, mm-hmm. um, yes. I had like that business mindset, but just to try to get people to work with me and to put myself in front of the camera was was just so hard. Yeah. And um, so I, I jumped up one day. I was really, really depressed. Um, I had a hard time throughout my life. It affected so much. It affected my, my high school education, um, college, dating. It just, my disability affected so much of my life. Um, I was encouraged in 10th grade to drop out. So I actually <sighs> never finished high school. When I was in 10th grade, I think by that time I had meningitis like two times in the beginning of that year, I had pretty much missed the whole first half of school that year. And so they sat my mom and I down and said, "Um, we don't know how to help you. We don't think you're going to be able to get enough credits in time to graduate. Mm. So our best option for you is to drop out. Wow. As opposed to we change our system to accommodate you, which is what your point is with Hollywood, right? We change our system to make sure everybody's included versus you're the one who has to lose out. Exactly. Mm. And just so Mm. many barriers to entry of just having access to education, employment, so many different things. There's so many barriers for people with disabilities. 
And it's, it's just a huge problem. But where does that all start from? It all starts from how people view us in the media. So when you did finally start getting work, what, what were kind of the initial jobs that you got? What were those like? So fast forward, I came to LA and the first thing I did was people always told me, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. Mm-hmm. And that was important. So get out there and network. And what happened was the first thing where I, people would invite me to places to network, it literally was not wheelchair accessible. Mm. So oh, gosh. When people say I figuratively could not get in the room, it wasn't that I didn't know people that wouldn't invite <laughs> me. It was that I literally phys- physically could not get Couldn't into get. the room. Wow. Um, because it wasn't wheelchair accessible. And um, so that was a huge barrier um, to meeting people. So I was like, here I am, dropped in Hollywood. And I thought when I got here, I thought Hollywood was going to be so progressive. Accessibility mm. wasn't going to be an issue. And I'm like, you just got a great bubbly personality. People are just going to book you. And it's, it's going to be a breeze. And that is genuinely what I thought. And I got here and I said, wait, it's not that people with disabilities don't want to work in the entertainment industry. It's that they literally don't have access to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what are we to do? And I, I would do like crazy things. I would, I've dragged my chair up steps to go uh, audit an acting class. I, wow. I've had events bring the party downstairs to me um, or have ushers or people that are available drag me or carry my chair up steps mm-hmm. and different things like that. And what I started doing was, was blogging about it and writing about it because I literally couldn't get into the room and I'm like, People need to know that this is a problem. Yeah. And so I started blogging about it. And that's where um, my lifestyle brand, I started Accessible Hollywood started. Um, and it was just me sharing my journey. And um, from there, I you know, would submit myself for different things and I wouldn't get anything back. People wouldn't really respond to me. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to create my own lane and just see mm. what happens. And so one of my really good friends who she had an interest in photography, she got a camera and she, I would just buy outfits and we would just take photos mm-hmm. and I would tag the company and I just took it to Instagram and yeah. I would start taking photos and then it started really growing. Um, and then I started getting a following. Then after that, it got the attention of a little brand called Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> can I Can I just ask you one quick question? You're, you're busting your ass to try and get in the room. How are you surviving? So that was where my activism came in. So okay. I started, I started being an activist and just speaking up for this very issue of lack of accessibility and inclusion and in entertainment through my yeah. blog, Accessible Hollywood. And I started being invited to be, to speaking on panels from Apple. That was when I did the panel for LA Film Festival and a couple yeah. other different brands invited me to talk. Um, because I just started being very vocal about it. From there, I met um, the organization that I work for now, Respectability. Respectability started doing this work and they needed someone that had the capacity to do the consulting and had the experience of knowing how to read scripts, knowing how to tell what is ableist and not ableist and things like that. And so I was able, was literally offered a full-time position um, within their Hollywood inclusion department. Awesome. Um, Lauren Applebaum started it and she says, I want to do this work, but I need a partner to do it with. And so that has literally been my full-time job because every working actor usually waits tables Mm -hmm. or bartends. Right. Um, 
I'm a wheelchair user. I can't, can't do that. Do um, no bar yeah. or restaurant is going to hire me. Let's be real. And so that has literally been able to sustain me. So I'm able to do that full time to be able to afford to live and all of that. And then self-care wise, weekends are my weekends. And mm -hmm. I shut my phone off on the weekend and it's all about self-care. It's well before the pandemic, you know, going to go get massages and mm -hmm. making sure my nails are done and getting my feet done or just having a day to just relax and sleep. Like if as a person with a disability, because I still do have health challenges, if I don't get enough rest, I am no good. And, you yeah. know, my health, my health depletes. So I have to rest myself and I have to be mindful of that. So as a working director in the industry, recently I was working with my AD and we were trying to craft a scene and I was like, can we have somebody be in this scene that's in a wheelchair? Like, how do we make this a little bit more diverse in our casting? And um, the response was, I, you know, we, we'd love to do that, but we really feel like it's going to be really impossible to get those people to the location. It's such a big deal. Let's try it another time. And not having the knowledge to be able to come back at them, um, you know, I just kind of acquiesced, but I wanted to ask you this question because I feel like I can, I, I personally, as a director, want to embellish my, you know, scenes and, and show diversity. And I feel like we should be able to do that. So, yeah. Yes. So <laughs> I, I get that response a lot. So actually, in a lot of the work that I do, that Hollywood passes the buck to different people. One minute they right. say, oh, it's the writer. It's the director. It's the producer. It's the casting director. And yeah. they blame each other. So first of all, it's not impossible and it's not hard. Actually, central casting, if you're using central casting or whatever or any other casting, they know how to find people with disabilities. I am with an agency where my agent represents over 400 actors with different various disabilities with all different levels of expertise in the industry from knowing how to have a lead star role to people who all they do are just extras or yeah. background. Yeah. Um, so it's not impossible it is literally one phone call. And a lot of people think having people with disabilities is a hazard or... Um, it's too expensive. Actually, having a person with a disability on set, if they are a lead, costs less than $400. Then if you have somebody who is background or anything, it doesn't cost anything. Yeah. I mean, most sets are built kind of as you as you do it. So it's like, um, as you do it, you just make sure that wires are maybe um, sealed over a little bit, which most sets have to do that anyway. Right, and then just have one, maybe PA, just make sure that when they're crossing different things, making sure they're a little more protected. But it really isn't that much because most of us are already professional actors that know how to behave and know how to maneuver a set anyway. Right. And so it's not, and then people always think it's a liability, but I'm saying I'm no more of a liability than someone who isn't disabled. Uh, this is a specific question. So we're on location. So you have to go to crew parking and then you need to get in a van to go to the location. Talk me through, a, like we hire you or we hire three people that are in wheelchairs that have to get in the van with the other crew. Um, how is that easy? Like talk me through how I so can pitch that. I actually just did this. A friend of mine um, was doing a show and he asked me to be on the show. That was the only reason I offered to be an extra <laughs> was because he, the person who wrote and stars in this show 
um, asked me himself, and he's a person with a disability. But um, anyway, what you do is what well, what they did is most of the people with disabilities come with their own cars. So you just have them drive to the location. You just Mm -hmm. make a designated spot for them to park somewhere near where the other production cars park. And um, I don't have a car right now. So what I did was I literally just brought my sister and my sister drove for the day and then they just paid her a fee as an extra as well. And she was just available in a car for me to drive me to where I needed to go. So there's solutions to different things. And it's like, most people work on production. Your job is to problem solve. Why can't right. you problem solve and put your head together right. to make accessibility for people with disabilities? You problem solve everything else. Right, 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 right. I'll just jump okay. in and say, um, so we're we're updating the language on the inclusion writer, and we were so lucky to get to talk with Tatiana and with Diana Elizabeth Jordan around how we're making sure the language, because we did the same thing, which is we wrote this inclusion writer and wrote disability like you know language in the inclusion writer without actually consulting anybody <laughs> with oh, disabilities yeah. so yeah. the earlier we talk about it right because that's our excuse all, all the excuses we hear all the time is like well now we just don't have time or now we get covid we have to focus on covid the earlier in the process we get them yes. committed to making sure that they are going to make their set accessible the easier it is so that you know yes. you do that from day one that way it's already, you know, it's already part of the process. So we're working on exactly. that. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just that simple. People just make it way more complicated than it needs to be. Tatiana, yeah. can you and uh, can you talk about the demographics? Because because also like we're missing out on. Look, if your only point is money we're missing out on the opportunity to make money off of showing people, right? Like having just folks, you know, in all aspects of the production. Um, So can you talk about that demographics? Yes. So first of all, people with disabilities make up 20% of the population. That is 20%. We are the largest marginalized community. Yep. And the largest. We are actually larger than the LGBTQ community. Oh, my God. And not only that, we intersect into every other community. Yeah. People of color, LGBTQ, white, Asian, uh, black so many we intersect into any and everything so you can never talk about diversity and not include disability because if you talk about black being black or being a black woman you can't not talk about disability if you're talking about lgbtq you cannot talk about disability um or include that in some way it's so important but not only that a lot of times people um argue the money argument Mm -hmm. and Nielsen actually did a study I want to say maybe 2016 the study came out or something and they actually did a study to um calculate and and talk about the the buying power and the buying habits of people with disabilities and what they found was that when you include people with disabilities but not only that their friends and their family Right. The disability market is worth over a trillion dollars. Okay. We like, are, are you the, gonna we, miss out on a we are trillion. The, <laughs> we are the third largest market in the United States. Next to baby boomers and teens. And then when you think about their family members, because my family um doesn't 
people in my family don't have a disability and my friends don't. But if something isn't accessible for me, that also influences how they buy and how they spend their time as yeah, well, too, yeah. because nothing happens without Toddy there. Toddy brings the party. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so that's yeah. so important to think about that. And so you're mis- you're literally leaving money on the table. Right. And then now, you know, there's a lot of time. And now some people are trying to jump on, you know, this diversity inclusion and starting to include disability. But then there's still some areas where they're they're missing. Um, and so the community wants to see their self authentically reflected yeah. right. and the community wants to see their self positively reflected. And so you have to think in the way, not only are you just throwing a person in a wheelchair and just saying, oh, I got an actor with a disability and somebody portraying a disability. It's like, no, you have to do it authentically because we go and look and we talk. Disability Twitter is a real yes. thing. Just like there's black Twitter. Yeah, there's yes. disability Twitter. Oh, Can yeah. I ask you about a specific show? Go ahead. <laughs> so what do you think about mom? Mom? The show mom. I haven't really seen it, but I heard of it. So yes, okay. it is an actor playing, not having a disability portraying being disabled. There's a few yeah. shows that are like that. That yeah. is very, very problematic. Yeah. Um, so the unemployment rate for people with disabilities is three times more than someone who is non-disabled. So yeah. by someone non-disabled playing a role that is made for a person with a disability, you're leaving out an opportunity for an actor with a disability to be gainfully employed and help lift up that unemployment rate of people with disabilities. Yeah. Not only that, I think people don't realize that having a disability is, is an identity. I don't separate being a black woman from my disability. When people ask me, how do I identify? I am a disabled black woman. And I think people don't realize that all of those identities intersect for me. Mm -hmm. And I don't experience one more than the other. I've even had somebody ask me, how do I feel that I've been discriminated more for, for being disabled or for being black or being a woman? And I was like, I'm probably all three. It's all three true all the the time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But when it comes to representation of all of that, um, first of all, it's like I said, it's an identity. But then not only that, people don't realize that we see it as because it's an identity and it's a life experience. We see it as a form of blackface. There's a term we use in the community and it's called cripping up. And so when we see a character who isn't disabled playing disabled, first of all, we know we can tell because there's certain ways that when you're paralyzed or you have a disability that you move, that you do things, how you how you're just effortless with things. So when we see people non-disabled playing in a wheelchair, they're super clunky and all of yeah. these other things. Whereas if you were to see me, I would be so much more graceful because. I know how to maneuver my wheelchair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's actually a smack in the face and is very much just as offensive to me as a black woman. I'm not going to speak for everyone, but just as offensive to me as if I were to see someone doing blackface. Yeah. Wow. Um, because you're portraying my identity that you can wipe off or take away or get out of your chair where this is my life experience and I come with that knowledge and that lived experience. Mm-hmm. How dare you try to portray that in a way that doesn't do me justice as as a human being living on this earth. 
This is Sister Brunch with Fanchon Cox and Anya Adams. Stay tuned for more of our best of Sister Brunch interviews from our first two seasons. Hi, this is Anya Adams. And Fanchon Cox. You're listening to Sister Brunch. We're taking a look back at some of our most memorable interviews. Next up is our interview with my homie, Susan Lewis. And I'll just tell you very quickly, she's my homie, not only because she's an incredible, wonderful friend of mine, but she also introduced me to my love of my life, Vinny. Susan is the SVP and head of drama development for ABC Signature, which is part of Disney Television Studios. She was formerly the SVP of original programming as stars, and that's where she oversaw series like BBC's co-production The Dublin Murders, Rebecca Cutter and Jerry Bruckheimer's Hightown, and the acclaimed playwright Katori Hall's Pea Valley. And prior to that, she was a producer for Alicia Keys' production company, AK Worldwide. She worked on projects including Viceland's Hustle, feature films like The Inevitable Defeat of Mr. and Pete. Have y'all seen that movie? Because it's so good and it's one of those gems that so few people saw and y'all need to see it. And another huge gem that was so good called Pariah. See those films if you haven't. Susan was also the VP of Development at MTV Films, where she acquired the manuscript for Stephanie Meyer's young adult novel, y'all may have heard of it, Twilight, and she oversaw the initial development of that franchise. She spoke to us at Sister Brunch about her role in bringing Twilight to the big screen and the challenges and benefits of being a woman in the industry. World, you um, know. It's fascinating because I feel like looking at just your career, the idea of an executive being hired for their storytelling like instincts and how important it is to have mm -hmm. diversity in execs because those stories, they are instinctual. They are what resonates with you. And do you want to talk a little bit about Twilight? Sure. As we, we started this podcast talking about how I had watched Platoon because there were cute men in it. <laughs> Let's focus in on that for a moment. <laughs> I think I lead with my 13-year-old girl's heart. Yes. <laughs> I am a teenage girl at heart, right? <laughs> like, that's just who I am. And I read the manuscript. So we had a book scout in New York when I was in L.A. working at MTV at the time. And it was MTV. Like, we, our whole purpose was to entertain young people. And it was when MTV actually was a thing <laughs> that people watched because it was pre-iPhone pre-YouTube, pre-smart social media, all of that. So we had all their eyeballs, and which was so fun for me because I didn't want to make a beautiful mind. I wanted to make, you know, save the last dance. <laughs> so, that. so that's what we were, that was the muscle I was always working. My uh, colleague in New York, Mark James, a great book scout, had sourced this book. Uh, and it, it, you know, it's a teen love story it just happens to be like the love triangle is a is a human and a vampire and a werewolf and he has the information this is going to be a big book a well-known title you know all these kinds of things so he sends it to me and I start reading it and I picture Johnny Depp in my head he's the brooding you know became Robert Pattinson character right like so when I'm reading it and I'm like Ooh, like who, who doesn't want to be Bella and have these choices right 
And I read it and I told, I, I called my boss and I was like, I read it. It's, you know, and I'm explaining it to this older dude. It's great and teen and love and vampires and werewolves. And he's just like, okay. But he trusts me. He trusts me. And so concurrently, another executive at the company received the manuscript from somebody else. We so were like, oh, we're both reading the same thing. We decide we're going to take it to Paramount, to this film studio. And uh, we take it to Karen Rosenfeld, who then becomes a producer on the movie when it is taken out of Paramount. Mm-hmm. She's the executive who optioned it for us. And I remember wow. her saying, well, don't spend too much money. We don't want to spend a lot on the option. Because nobody... Right. I mean, no nobody knew it, it, yeah. it was what it was yeah. going to become. Also, like, but I feel I'll... like it started, it, it was like a resurgence of vampire, like the, this was like, made it yeah. sexy. Yes, exactly. Exactly. What, what was really interesting was when we started filling, you know, now we optioned it. Now we have to, hi, you know, have somebody come on and adapt it. And every writer responded to it. And like from the horror mm-hmm. writers who to, you know, women who were more focused on the love triangle and the romantic element, we had multiple writers with great takes, which, and I remember at that point, I, that hadn't happened where it was like, we could go this way, we could go this way, we could go this way. You know, we had, and we ended up choosing this writer, Mark Lord, who adapted it. And by that point, I think I was in LA for the beginning. Then I ended up moving back to New York and we had the scripts, and by then the book had been published mm. and was a huge bestseller. Right. <laughs> and then she, there was a follow-up, and that was also a bestseller, and they weren't doing anything mm. with it at Paramount. Mm. And it was, you know, the number one book in the country for, how, you know, how many weeks on end. They were just sitting end. on it. Oof. And they were just sitting on it, and then I, eventually, I left to go to Alicia's, and eventually the decision was made at Paramount to put the property into turnaround. So they let it go. They let the, you know, the option had come up on, I, I, I would imagine, the underlying rights on the book. And they decided they weren't going to make it. They, the wow. male executive running mm-hmm. the company didn't, mm-hmm. even though, and it's like, that is math. If I invest this much money in this movie and all those people go see it and we have the marketing of MTV and all these things, you know. But I guess they decided it was too big of a risk, and Summit made it. Let's talk about the challenges or benefits of being a woman, being a black woman in your position. And and also, I think, if you're comfortable talking about it, you also come from a white mom and a black dad. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you feel like that has an influence on the things that you're drawn to. Challenges, benefits. So the challenge of being, I would just say, a woman in this Mm -hmm. industry sometimes is that people don't listen to you. And the benefit is sometimes people don't listen to you and you can like sneak your ideas in yeah. and make them theirs. <laughs> right. And then they don't know that they were listening mm. to you, but they were and they took your idea. When you say people, do you mean men or do you mean men and women? You know, do I mean men and women? I think, listen, I wouldn't be where I was if people hadn't listened to me. Mm. So I'm, I'm actually, right? Mm-hmm. People sure. clearly listened to me in some way. And if I'm really honest, it the people who supported me and who gave me jobs were all white men. I've, I've heard that a lot. That's my job. 
<laughs> right? Yeah. 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 Whether it was Chris Moore hiring me as a PA on the first on on cruise or glory days, to being hired uh, by a white man when I went to work as an assistant at John Peters, a white man taking me to Three Arts, mm-hmm. and then being hired by David Gale at MTV Films. Yeah, they did. They they did. There, there is the fact that me. there are a lot more of them in positions of power to be yes. able to hire you, right? So right. <laughs> there's that. Yeah, I never had a woman boss right. until I worked with Alicia. Yeah. So it's yeah, both of those things. Yeah, and then all of the people in her life were men, white yeah. men. Yeah. yeah. So and being, I think being mixed is probably a superpower. You can't tell me not to make Dublin murders. Right. Right? Right. <laughs> and you also can't say don't make pariah. Right. <laughs> I can fit into both those yeah. worlds somehow and imagine myself and others into those worlds, maybe in a way that somebody else wouldn't be able to. Thank you for listening to Sister Branch with me, Anya Adams, and my fabulous co-host, Sajin Cox. That was a look back at our conversations with actress, model, and disability rights advocate Tatiana Lee and Susan Lewis, SVP and head of drama development for ABC Signature, which incidentally is a part of Disney Television Studios. You got to stay tuned for brand new Sister Brunch episodes on January 11th. And also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Sister Brunch Podcast. Leave us a comment. Tell us how you're doing. Tell us uh, how things are going for you in the entertainment industry. Tell us any questions you'd like us to ask our guests. We're also on Twitter at Sister Brunch and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sister Brunch Podcast. And always, while you're on any of that social, we would love to interact with you. We want to know who you are, who are our listeners, um, who do you want to hear from, what kinds of questions do you have, how can we help encourage and inspire you to enter into or stay in the entertainment and media industries. Our senior producer is Sonata Lee Narcisse. Our show producer is Brittany Turner. Our executive producer is Christabel and Siabwadi. We'd like to acknowledge that the land we record our podcast on is the original land of the Tongva people for those of us in Los Angeles. See you next time. Take care. Thank you.